The periodical podcast recognises Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as the first people of this place known as Australia. We recognise the Yagara and Turbal people as the traditional custodians of the land where we record today and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. We also acknowledge that the themes covered in the periodical podcast, including menstrual and maternal health outcomes, disproportionately impact First Nations women. This podcast is brought to you by Hey Al Productions. Hello and welcome to the Periodical Podcast. I'm Alex Whittington, the owner of Hey Out Productions and the producer slash co-host of this show. I am so excited to be a part of this podcast and it is my absolute privilege to introduce you to my co-host, the brains behind this show, Michelle Smith. Michelle is a woman's health practitioner. She's a registered acupuncturist and Chinese herbal medicine practitioner and she practices integrative medicine that combines modern wellness with traditional Chinese medicine. She's the owner of Over Acupuncture and Chinese Medicine, a women's health clinic in the heart of Camp Hill, Brisbane. Thank you so much for the introduction. I am so, so thrilled to be doing this podcast with you, Al. And for those listening, Al is my co-host and the amazing producer of this podcast. And she's the founder of Hey Al Productions, a boutique podcast studio in Brisbane. Al is also a mum of three. She's a gender studies major, a published writer, and has been on her own health journey, which I'm sure at times, Al, it must've felt like a roller coaster that you wanted to get off of, but it means that Al comes to this podcast with so much lived experience in the space, which for me as a clinician is so important to always come back to the lived experience of the person sitting in front of me. So we've partnered to make a women's health podcast that's packed full of the topics we all should have been taught, but never were. We're your big sisters for periods and we're diving deep into until now taboo topics such as periods, hormones, mental health, fertility, sex, menopause, and the entire spectrum of women's health. In this podcast, there's no such thing as too much information. We're not holding anything back and we're covering the topics you might be too embarrassed to ask about. Expect epic guests, including experts in women's health and people with lived experience. We want to empower women with education and create an opportunity to share real life stories that will make you laugh and cry. So with that in mind, for our first episode, we thought we would begin with an introduction to the menstrual cycle, a bit of a 101. I can't wait for you all to hear this because even as we were planning this episode, I couldn't believe that there was so much I didn't know. Before we get started, let's break the ice and just get straight into the period chat, a chat that I'll admit I don't have very often with the people in my life, but normalizing the discussion around menstruation is literally the point of this show. So Michelle, what cycle day and season are you in today? Well, this segment is so fitting for today's episode because hopefully by the end of the episode, you'll be able to confidently know how to track your cycle and know what cycle day you are and know what season that that relates to. So if you don't know what I'm talking about right now, I promise by the end of the episode, you will. I'll go first. I'm cycle day eight today, which means I'm in my inner spring or follicular phase. And it's actually the perfect time in my cycle to be recording our first episode because I'm naturally more outgoing and talkative at this time of the cycle due to my hormones. Al, what about you? Uh, So I'm just going to be super honest. I actually have no idea. 
I had a marina put in last November and since then it's all been a bit all over the place. I thought I was getting my period last week when we did our photo shoot with Emmy, but it went away. So I really just have no idea what's going on. Yeah. And I'm sure we'll absolutely need to do an episode breaking down exactly how something like the marina works because I'm sure there's so many people listening that are in the exact same position as you. So I have no idea how the marina works. (laughs) I'm 100% the target audience for our podcast. (laughs) All right, so let's kick off. My first question for you is why do you think it is important for people to know this information? Yeah, so often I meet people in my clinical practice who simply have no idea about the menstrual cycle. And oftentimes it's because they weren't taught anything about the female reproductive system at school. And if they were, it was either incorrect or taught to them with the sole intention to prevent them ever having sex. And so I really hope that that's changing. But from what I've experienced firsthand is that it's multi-generational, this culture of being totally in the dark when it comes to the menstrual cycle. So not only do I see, you know, teenage girls in my clinical practice that have no idea about the menstrual cycle, but I also work with postmenopausal women and they have no idea about the menstrual cycle either. And so I think that understanding your menstrual cycle is not only important, obviously when it comes to fertility and trying to make a baby, but it's just so important to understand the day-to-day ebbs and flows of your natural cycle as a woman. And then when you are going through transition times, so especially in Chinese medicine, we look at puberty as a transition time and the transition into menopause as a transition time in order to really understand the changes that are happening in the body. I think understanding what a baseline menstrual cycle is, is so important to understand why your body is experienced and symptoms and things like that. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's just important to understand what's happening in your body because when we understand what's happening in our body, I think we can make better choices when it comes to our body. Absolutely. I relate to this so much. So I literally didn't have sex education in school. I went to a Catholic school back in the early 2000s. As I have mentioned to you previously, our sex education was literally them showing us these kind of like hallmark movies about people who would have sex, get HIV and die. Yeah. Movies like, I mean, we watched Philadelphia, this one with Molly Ringwald. So that was our sex education and it was 100% just to prevent us from ever having sex. It's not something that I really gave a lot of thought to. I, you know, it was just something that happened came every month, went away, caused me a lot of pain, yeah, <laughs> anxiety, sickness. But yeah, I never really, I just thought that that was all normal, which we'll get to later. It wasn't until I struggled to get pregnant that I started to give it a bit more consideration and look into it more. But even then I didn't really do too much research because all I cared about was getting pregnant. I just did whatever the doctors told me to do. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah. And I see that like all too often in clinic. And I think you've touched on two really important things. The first is the language that we use when it comes to periods and oftentimes we're talking about periods as being awful, painful, a hindrance, annoying. And so it's got this really negative connotation in our culture and in our languaging, which I think is really problematic. And then the second thing you touched on is only focusing on family planning when it comes to the menstrual cycle. And so often it is only when we start thinking about family 
family planning that we begin to focus on our cycles. And that makes me so sad for two reasons. And the first is that by tuning into your cycle before starting to try to conceive, you can optimize your cycle for fertility and tune into your fertile signs and troubleshoot anything that might actually be standing in the way between you and being super fertile. And then the second thing is that there are so many benefits of understanding your cycle and learning to live and flow with your cycle that don't involve having kids. So are you ready for me to dive in? All right, let's do it. Okay. So we started off the episode sharing what cycle day we are, and a lot of people don't know what that even means. So the first day that you start a full flow. So the first day of your period is the first day of your cycle. Yeah. And so the whole cycle lasts then from the first day of bleeding until the last day before you bleed again. Okay. So that's typically that sort of like 24 to 32 days if we're being really general. Yeah. So oftentimes in clinic, I'll say to my patients, what cycle day are you? And they'll say, oh, I finished because they think that cycle means just your period. Yeah. And I think that's probably why we've come to think that the period is the main event of the cycle when actually, in my opinion, ovulation is the main event of the menstrual cycle because without ovulation, there's not going to be a menstrual period. So cycle day one is the first day of full flow and that's your phase one of the menstrual cycle, which is menstruation. And so from a Chinese medicine lens, menstruation is like the deepest yin time of the cycle. So some words that describe yin are like dark, downward bearing, strong, yielding, and it's kind of like the shadow side. And then from a seasonal perspective, it's our inner winter. Yeah. So we naturally want to like turn inwards and kind of like nourish and dial it down when it comes to energy output and things like that. But we've grown up watching tampon ads of like a girl riding a horse and it's like, oh, like we don't have to actually, I say this to my patients all the time, like just because you can do it all doesn't mean you should do it all. Yeah. And I think like from a TCM perspective, your period is really an opportunity to like turn inwards and get a little bit more retrospective and take rest if you have the opportunity to take rest obviously not everybody can just like take the day off work and like rest on their period. But yeah, we really encourage just taking it a little bit slower when you're on your period. And then from a physiological level, what's happening during your period is you're shedding the endometrial lining. So we're hardwired for reproduction. We house babies in our uterus. And so each month our body prepares for the potential implantation of an embryo. So the endometrial lining will build up. And then when your body recognizes that you're not pregnant, it will shed. And then at the next cycle, we start again by building building the lining up. So it's really important that menstruation is really efficient and that menstruation is adequately shedding that lining. So what we want to see is a menstrual flow that flows. Yeah. So oftentimes we'll have menstruation that like stops and starts. Yeah. So ideally that wouldn't be happening. And in my world, (laughs) as a Chinese medicine doctor, the perfect period should just arrive. Yeah. Like the sun rises and then it should just go like the sun sets. Yeah. This blows my mind. (laughs) And when you came on Bread and Better, I was just like, that is just not my experience or like the experience that you see in the media. Like there's all that 
like PMS and the cramping and the, you know, that, that you see. And then also the thing that really surprised me is when you said the first day of full flow, and I guess when you mean like stopping and starting and stuff, so that's like not spotting, right? Like that's full yeah. flow. I've always started counting mine from the first day of spotting. Of spotting. Yeah. No, it's full flow. Yeah. 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 And the reason why is that that spotting is potentially an indicator that your progesterone levels are dropping. Yeah. But when you have that full flow, that's when your hormones have really gone down to their baseline level. Yeah. So you want to wait for that full flow. Yeah. So from a TCM perspective, spotting isn't normal. Yeah. It's something that is common and something that we've probably culturally categorized as normal. Yeah. But from a Chinese medicine perspective, spotting before the period isn't normal. And yeah. it's something that we can potentially troubleshoot. Yeah. And when I say that the period should just arrive like the sun rises, there shouldn't be a lot of fanfare before the period. Yeah. So some PMS is probably normal where you're like maybe a little bit irritable, but any symptoms that are really affecting your mental health, you know, really emotional outbreaks, those typical like PMS symptoms. Yeah. Again, in Chinese medicine, we don't see those as normal. Yeah. And that's definitely something that you would want to look into if that's something that you're experiencing. Yeah. And then when I'm talking about this sort of like perfect period, yeah, I really want to be conscious that I'm not dismissing people that do experience periods that are quite painful or that aren't sort of quote unquote normal. Yeah. And when I say that something isn't normal, I'm not telling the person that they're not yeah. normal. Yeah. It's just, I'm trying to raise awareness of what could potentially be your reality. Yeah. Because I've personally had periods where I've ended up at ED oh, wow. and I've had, you know, really, really severe symptoms. And then I've also had periods that I'm describing right now where they just come and then they just go again. Yeah. And so then when the period flows, starts, you'd ideally be having about two to three days of full flow. Yeah. And I describe that as changing at least every four hours. And that's a regular product. And a then, regular, not like a super. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> and then you would be having about sort of two days of light flow either side of it. Yeah. So a typical menstrual cycle would last for about five days. Yeah. And I know that's not true for many people. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. I had a patient yesterday and she bleeds for 10 days every every cycle. Yeah. That's the same as me. Yeah. yeah. So Prior to the marina. So yeah, there's definitely a lot of people that experience periods that aren't like what I'm describing. Yeah. And I, yeah, I definitely want to be conscious of that. The other thing in TCM that we don't consider normal when it comes to the period is clots. Yeah. This yeah. is something that... <laughs> This is the thing that when we're doing all of our planning and in our previous discussions, it like blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah. I think again, clots, we kind of just think they're normal Yeah, and clots can range in size from like the size of your fingernail, like all the way up to like the size of your fist or a golf ball. Like yeah. some people experience really significant clotting. And of course, if you are experiencing really large clots or a large volume of clots, you would want to be working with a GP or a specialist gynecologist or some kind of practitioner, whether it be a natural medicine practitioner like myself to understand if there's anything else going on. Yeah. If that's a red flag for something else, which we won't go into today. But if you're experiencing, yeah, like that really heavy bleeding, like changing a super damp on every like 45 minutes to an hour. Yeah. I would absolutely be working with a GP, a gynecologist or a women's health practitioner that can really support you and ensure that there's nothing untoward going on and doing the appropriate investigations to make sure that it's all good 
under the hood. Yeah, I feel like. And this is the whole reason for doing this podcast is because you don't know if something's normal or not mm. normal if you don't discuss it. Yeah, absolutely. It's like anything in life. Yeah. Like, and oftentimes like endometriosis can run in the family. And so if the mother has had heavy, painful bleeding mm. and their mother had heavy, painful bleeding. And we know the generations prior to us just weren't talking about yeah. this. And then they have a, a teenager going through puberty and navigating their first periods and they're having heavy, painful bleeding. That's normal in that family line. Yeah. Yeah. And so unless they're talking to people outside of their family, they might actually not understand that that's not normal. Yeah. It's normal to them and their experience, but not having those conversations in the wider community can yeah. mean that people are putting up with symptoms that they don't have to put up with. Yeah. So true. And I feel the same way about like, you know, mental health. And there's so many things like that, that yeah, yeah if that's just the way you've always lived mm-hmm. and you don't know any different then until someone's like, oh no, it shouldn't be like that. You just don't know. Or if yeah, you, absolutely. And with other things, you might see it represented on like a TV show, you might see someone experiencing or you might read about it or, mm. you know, and you might be like, there's some flags that come up for you. Yeah. But like periods is something that, as we said, has been quite taboo and still people don't discuss it. Yeah. So you're way less likely to realize that for yourself. Yeah. Or when things are included in the media, they're yeah. misrepresented. Oh, you know, absolutely. How many women don't know the signs of a heart attack in females because yes. it's always been portrayed in that typical male presentations. So yeah. yeah, I think like media representation is a really important part of, you know, when it comes to educating about the menstrual cycle and the realities of, you know, different things that women go through. Yeah. And like maybe in the late nineties, early two thousands, you just thought your period was meant to be blue because they only <laughs> used that blue, you know, liquid yeah. on the pads to show you how absorbent they were. Cause oh they my God. Went, or red glitter. Because they weren't allowed to use anything that looked like blood. God forbid. Yeah, heaven forbid. Yeah. Okay, so menstruation is the first phase of the menstrual cycle. It's shedding the endometrial lining. It's getting us ready for a brand new cycle. It's the first phase and the first day of full flow is cycle day one. And then you count the cycle days from there. So that's a little bit of an intro on menstruation and we'll absolutely go into more detail on periods and what's normal and what's not normal and all of that in a future episode. But today that's really just an introduction, the first phase of the menstrual cycle, what it is. And then after menstruation, it flows into our follicular phase. This is referred to as springtime. So if your period is that inner winter, that like retrospective going inward time of the month, after winter comes spring Mm -hmm. and like how good does spring feel? I know in Brisbane where we live, we don't really get the four seasons, (laughs) but like when I lived in Melbourne, oh my gosh, when it, when spring sprung, it was the happiest time because you can just see like in Chinese medicine, we look to nature to tell us what's happening inside the body. So we say, we look at the macrocosm to talk about the microcosm. Yeah. And so when it's springtime, you can see like the flowers are blooming, the birds are chirping, like you can just see there's more activity in nature. Yeah. And that is how this phase of the menstrual cycle feels as well. So you're coming out of your period, you're starting to get an increase of hormones. So what I didn't mention is that 
when you're on your period, your hormones go to like a baseline level. Yeah. And so that's typically why your energy levels are lower during, yeah. during your period. But when you're gearing up to ovulation, so after your period and you're in this beautiful sort of springtime, estrogen is increasing in the body and yeah. estrogen is a really fun hormone. Like yeah. it generally, I call it our social lubricant. Yeah. So it makes us more like outgoing, more chatty. You might notice that your skin is clearer. Like these are all very like estrogenic qualities. Yeah. And so after your period, what's happening on a physiological level is that your body is producing estrogen to facilitate the growth of the dominant follicle that will release the egg at ovulation. Right. And so your brain is sending down follicle stimulating hormone to your ovaries and then estrogen is being produced in response to that. And so if you think on a physiological level, we're growing an egg, that same energy can be seen in your life. Like you've got this kind of like energy of like creativity and growth during your follicular phase in the lead up to ovulation. I think that that's so interesting. And this just like really talks to understanding where you're at in your cycle can help you in life. Because like as a writer, there's definitely times where I'm like, I have all these ideas and I can sit down and write a whole article or I have an idea for a short story and I, you know, will get so excited and everything like flows. And then there's times where I have complete writer's block or like there's zero creativity probably when I'm on my period mm-hmm. and everything's kind of just stalled and I'm so hard on myself. Yeah. I'm like, why am I, why aren't I feeling as creative as I was? But that could explain so much. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if you understand that, you can plan things around that. So that's literally what I do in my business. Yeah. So in my follicular phase, this is when I'm doing like all of my social media content and it's when I'm recording videos and it's yeah. when I'm doing a lot of the creative parts of my business. Yeah. And then we can go into this a little bit later, but during the luteal phase, because of the role of progesterone in the body, we're more attuned to like risk averse behavior. Mm. So the body is like seeking safety. Yeah. And so that's when I do like my accounting and my life admin, like my bookkeeping and my appointment setting and all of that kind of stuff. And then the other way that I, I do it is during the follicular phase, you're like, you feel so good. You feel like on top of the world. Yeah. So I'll go like and make all of these appointments. Like I'm like, yeah, I can go to that dinner. I can do this. And like you're saying yes. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then you're like in your luteal phase, you're like, why did I commit to all of these Oh my God, that's so relatable. There's all the memes that are like when I was feeling excited and outgoing. That happens to me all the time. I'll be like, yeah, I'll go on this camping trip. (laughs) And then I'm like, what the hell? Like who was that that committed to this? Yeah. (laughs) And you've referred to this before for as the Beyonce yes, hormone. Is yeah, that right? Yeah, exactly. Which I've just thought about so much since you said that. Yeah. yeah. It's like you're, you've got like queen bee energy when yeah. you're in your follicular phase. I love that. So this is all gearing us up for ovulation. And so ovulation truly is the main event of the menstrual cycle. When we're talking about seasons, it's our summer. And so in Chinese medicine, it's like the highest yang. Yeah. And so if yin is that like deep, you know, introspective yielding energy. Yeah. Yang is like outgoing, vibrant. It's represented by the sun. Its energy is outward. So you can see it's like the total opposite. Yeah. And so at ovulation, that's when we're like at our peak yang in terms of Chinese medicine. But ovulation itself is really only like a 24 hour event. Yeah. So what happens is as the estrogen is like increasing and we're growing that beautiful dominant follicle, 
hole where the egg is housed inside of. At ovulation, what happens is there's a communication between your brain and the ovaries. Yeah. And your ovaries are essentially like, yo, yeah. <laughs> this, like, this follicle is really big. And so that triggers sort of a cascade from the brain to release the egg at ovulation. Yeah. So we say it's a 24-hour event, but realistically the egg only survives for 12 hours. Okay. So that's why if you're trying to have a baby, you essentially want sperm to be waiting for the egg at ovulation. And then obviously if you're avoiding uh, trying to have a baby, then you want to make sure there's no sperm um, waiting for the egg. And side note is that sperm typically survives for about five days. So that's why your fertile window is about six days, even though the egg only survives for 12 hours. Yeah, that is something that I do remember from (laughs) trying to have a baby. Yeah. 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 And we should absolutely do an episode on sperm as well because yes. sperm health is fascinating and yeah. just how it's important for guys to understand women's health so that they can be better partners, better leaders in the corporate space, better oh. friends and better fathers, etc. Yeah, I think it's important for women to understand sperm health as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to – I know nothing about that. So <laughs> other than this is the one thing I know about sperm health and that might not even be right, uh, boxes over for briefs is that- yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. so it's all about that's like, all I know <laughs> that's all about like heat and blood flow so yeah, yeah let's definitely do a sperm at yeah cool I'm so excited for that so yeah so ovulation is realistically a 24-hour event like phase three is the shortest phase of the the menstrual cycle and then after ovulation comes our luteal phase so I mentioned that the egg is housed inside a dominant follicle yeah and so what happens is the dominant follicle part of it starts to secrete to facilitate the egg being released and that follicle turns into something called the corpus luteum Yeah. And that is a gland that starts to produce the hormone progesterone. Right. And this is a really, really important part of the menstrual cycle. So I'm going to repeat it. You have the dominant follicle where the egg is released. Yeah. And that dominant follicle turns into a gland that produces progesterone. The female body is amazing. That's insane. Yeah. So it's literally from the scar tissue, we create the hormone that sustains pregnancy. Yeah. I have heard of the luteal phase because that was my issue when I was trying for Magnolia. Mm. They would just be like, oh, it's the luteal phase. There's an issue in the luteal phase. And then it is something we were going to explore after like, I think 17 months of trying, but then I fell pregnant. And then I was like, I never need to think about that ever again again. (laughs) Yes. Well, and that's the other thing, like having things happen in the luteal phase can contribute to just low energy levels and it can also contribute to mental health. Yeah. So yeah, there you go. Yeah. (laughs) And we'll get into that in another episode as well. And that's what I mean. Like, of course, tracking your cycle, understanding your cycle is important for fertility, Yeah. but it's also so important for understanding, yeah, like why you might be experiencing certain things in your life. Yeah. Yeah. So the corpus luteum starts to produce progesterone. Progesterone is the pregnancy hormone. So yeah. it's pretty easy to remember because it's progesterone and pregnancy, PRPR. Yeah. And so it's so important for your luteal phase to be an adequate length of time. Yeah. So ideally 11 days will represent a really strong luteal phase. 
And if you are tracking temperatures, you want to see your temperatures increase and stay increased for those 11 days. Right. And that's really important if you are trying to sustain a pregnancy. But like I mentioned, progesterone has other roles in the body that don't just pertain to having a baby. So essentially like estrogen is that Beyonce hormone. Yeah. And if you let her go... (laughs) <laughs> she will just go. Yeah, yeah. And so progesterone kind of counterbalances the estrogen right? in different ways. So, for example, the estrogen is responsible for proliferating and thickening the endometrial lining. Mm-hmm. And so progesterone counterbalances that so that the lining is like Goldilocks, like not too little, not too big, but just right. Yeah. And so while estrogen is really like stimulating, progesterone is really calming. Yeah. So it's a it's kind of like you're free and easy hormone. Yeah. Whereas if estrogen gets out of control, (laughs) it's just like, (laughs) I'm just kind of smiling right now because in my head, I'm like, maybe I have too much estrogen and not enough progesterone. Yeah. (laughs) Which then like, there's just, I just like feel like the whole time you're talking, I feel like I'm already making so many connections because like if you're saying estrogen thickens the endometrial line and then progesterone balances that is that kind of the space where you can develop endometriosis am I that's a working theory yeah right. okay cool yeah. I'm so excited to do an endo yeah. episode and so that's your train of thought is spot on and so estrogen is kind of just like has a proliferating nature in general so another example of that is with breast cancer, estrogen increases the cell division, whereas right. progesterone will help slow it down. So from a Chinese medicine perspective, the first phase of the menstrual cycle is yin yeah. and it's governed by estrogen. And then the second phase is yang and it's governed by progesterone. Right. And so yin and yang are their opposites. And similarly, like estrogen and progesterone are kind of seen as their opposites as well. Yeah. But in Chinese medicine, we say, that you need yin in order to engender yang. Right. Um, and vice versa, you need the yang energy yeah. to engender yin. Yeah. So we need them both. And we see that that is also true on a more like physiological level when we understand the menstrual cycle and how progesterone can actually impact ovulation. But I won't go into that because it gets a little bit, a little bit trickier. But yeah. yes, essentially a good luteal phase is 11 days of elevated temperatures. Yeah. And you would do that if you understand basal body temperature charting, which we can, we can talk about more a little bit later in a different episode. Yeah. I think that that was the issue with my luteal phase is that it was too short. Yes. Yeah. yeah I see this all the time. Yeah. 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 And it can be really heartbreaking because we've grown up thinking that the period is the main event of the menstrual cycle and that a 28 day menstrual cycle is normal. Yeah. But no one really teaches us about ovulation. Yeah. No. We're not taught from a young age how to identify ovulation in the body. Yeah. And of course we can track ovulation by doing our temperatures, which is what I teach people to do in my clinical practice. But we're also not teaching people the signs of ovulation in the body, which we'll do a full episode on ovulation. But one of those main signs is cervical mucus. Yeah. And so without teaching people at a young age how to observe ovulation in their body, we're just looking at 
28 days. And yeah. so a lot of people come to my clinic and they're like, I have a 28 day menstrual cycle. It's textbook. And they don't think there could be anything wrong with yeah. their menstrual cycle. But when we start to actually dive deep into when they're actually ovulating, what's heartbreaking is they might be ovulating on day 20 of their menstrual cycle. Right. And then they might only have an eight day luteal phase. Yeah. Which if pregnancy is what you're trying to do, what you're trying to create, that eight-day luteal phase isn't sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that is that 28 days thing. Like whenever you go for like an ultrasound or an x-ray, there's all these, you know, blood tests and stuff. Mm. The one question they ask is like, how long is your menstrual cycle? And like often there'll be like a multiple choice. It's like 28 days, 30 to 31, you know? So yes. And I guess talking about cervical mucus, especially when it was quite taboo, that's one of the things that people aren't really going to discuss. But as you said, so important. Yeah, absolutely. And there's normal cervical mucus and then there's pathological cervical mucus. And so understanding what's normal and what's not normal and when you need to look into things is also so important. Yeah, I've had patients that have had thrush for years and they didn't know it was thrush. Really? Yeah. And so they've just been living with something that they thought was they normal. probably just thought it was normal discharge yeah they just thought it was normal because they've had it for years yeah wow yeah so yeah definitely talking about cervical mucus and <laughs> the whole spectrum of colors and on. smells <laughs> and textures that we can talk about there yeah But yeah, essentially your luteal phase is your inner autumn. So just like if we come back to the seasons, we have the height of summer and then after summer comes autumn. And it's when we just like slowly taper down, like we're slowly preparing for winter. Yeah. Autumn is a harvest time. Yeah. And so if we think of bears and they hibernate during winter, they prepare for that hibernation in autumn. Yeah. And so in the body, when we're preparing for a menstruation, about a week out from the period, you'll typically notice that you're hungrier. Yeah. And it's because you're period and the loss of blood is such a metabolically demanding event that your body is literally preparing for that. Just like a bear would prepare for its winter, your body is preparing for the loss of blood. Yeah. And so why I love tracking your cycle and understanding what's happening at different phases of the cycle is because there are those days and it's happened to me and I know it happens to other women too, where you're so much hungrier than you normally are. Yeah. And because of diet culture and just like the way that our generation grew up, the negative self-talk comes in. Like, why are you hungry? Like all of that stuff, which is like so deeply rooted in like fat phobia and just yeah, our culture. God forbid. Yeah. Heaven forbid you eat more when you need it. Totally. Like (laughs) heaven forbid that you sustain your physiological processes and like meet the requirements of your body. (laughs) But we've all had those days where you feel hungrier yeah. And like oftentimes there's a reason why that's happening. And similarly, like those days where you wake up and you're just like not motivated to exercise or not yeah. motivated to go to the gym or whatever it is. I think when you're tracking your cycle and you can look to where you're at in your cycle and be like, oh, okay, well, this is what my hormones are doing at this stage of the cycle. Yeah. Maybe my body's just not in a position today to go really hard at the gym. Maybe I can just go for a walk instead, you know? So I think- Be it, kinder to yourself. A thousand percent. Like it just yeah. removes that pressure and that blame that we put on ourselves. Yeah. I'm loving the bear analogy, by the way, because before <laughs> you even said that, when you were talking about getting your period and like going introspective, that's all like that came to mind. I just thought of like a bear going into their cave. And now when you say the hungry thing, I think of the bear, like catching all the fish and stuff and like
like storing it in their cave when they're hibernating. Yeah. <laughs> and have you seen those memes of like the bear coming out when, yeah. when winter's over? I feel yeah. like that's me after my period. I'm like coming out of this like <laughs> haze. Ready to meet the world. My Beyonce energy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So um, yeah, the bear analogy is very good. And I think the seasons also, people can relate to the seasons quite oh, easily totally. too. So they're the four seasons. We've got phase one, which is your menstruation, phase two, which is your follicular, phase three, which is ovulation, and then the luteal phase. So if you are trying to fall pregnant, and again, if there's sperm waiting for the egg to be released and pregnancy was successful, that gland that's producing progesterone continues to produce progesterone until the placenta is formed and the placenta takes over. That's like, I'm not going to get this perfectly factually correct. I think it's between six to nine weeks. Yeah. So it highlights then the importance that that dominant follicle is really strong because that's going to turn into the gland that literally sustains the pregnancy. That is wild. So progesterone is a very, very, very important hormone in the body. Yeah. And then if you're not pregnant, your body will register that you're not pregnant and then your progesterone will drop. Yeah. That corpus luteum, it starts to break down and your period will start again. Yeah. And then we're back at cycle day one. Right. Okay. Yeah. I do know about the progesterone dropping obviously, because when I had a miscarriage, like that's how they were tracking it, right? Like they were doing the blood test to see if it was going up or down. Yes. So So. in early pregnancy, you'll typically test HCG and progesterone. And so you want to see that the HCG is rising and that the progesterone is yeah at a significant enough level. Yeah, right. And this is obviously something else we'll get into later on as well. There's yes. so much for us to explore. There literally is. Yeah. The other thing I'll just touch on really quickly is if somebody's listening to this and their ears are pricking up about progesterone, you'll often hear progesterone tested with a day 21 progesterone test. Yeah. And that day 21 number is based on a 28-day menstrual cycle right. where ovulation is assumed to be on day 14. Yeah. But realistically, you want to be testing your progesterone at the peak of your luteal phase, which is seven days post ovulation. Yeah. So for someone who ovulates on day 18, that progesterone test should be performed on day 25. Right. So it's so important. It's important to know that. Yeah. Yeah. And we will do a whole episode on blood testing and how to understand, yeah, how to test your bloods properly. Yes. So important, obviously, because if you don't know when you're ovulating, you don't know any of that. Yeah. And that's why I like bang on about this all the time. But ovulation is the main event of the menstrual cycle, not your period. Yeah. All right. So after our very first conversation, I literally said to you, where have you been all my life? Which has been going through my head again this whole time we were recording. (laughs) I wish I had known all of this information when I was 14, but better late than never. And I feel like there's so many ways that having this information can change your life. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it changed my life because I didn't always know all of this stuff, right? And in my early 20s, I had PCOS. I had so many symptoms of PCOS. COS. I didn't have a period or had totally random irregular periods. I had terrible acne and my mental health was not good. And I had this like deep innate knowing that the menstrual cycle was the key to why I was feeling all of these things because I had three big sisters and they had no issues with their menstrual cycle. 
And then I had all of these things happening and no one could give me answers. Yeah. And we can talk about this in another episode, but like I literally exhausted all of my options with Western medicine, which is how I ended up seeing an acupuncturist and going down that whole life path. But at the core of all of that was that I had no idea what was happening in the menstrual cycle. Yeah. And having that information, I think just empowers people that do have a menstrual cycle on such a deeper level to then seek out change. Yeah, absolutely. So to answer your question, how can this change your life? It can change your life by knowing what your experience is, whether or not that's something that you should just continue to put up with. Yeah. Which spoiler alert, it's not. And secondly, it's going to set you up if you do want to have a baby one day. Yeah. Having this information means that you'll understand your fertility. And in my case, you can also use it to avoid pregnancy. Yeah. So I've been using this information for years and years and years and years now to avoid having a baby because I understand my cycle. I understand when I'm fertile and how to avoid sex during those times. Yeah. And then we also spoke about, you know, before, like not blaming yourself for being lazy and things like that. So. Yeah. 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 I have so many friends that are younger than me that aren't exactly ready to have a baby yet, but they're thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And I hear them say all the time, I'm going to just go get my egg levels checked to see where I'm at. But I feel like having all of this knowledge as well, mm-hmm. even if they're three years away, there's so many things, like you said, that they can start to troubleshoot now and understand their body to kind of figure that all out, like where they're at already. Yeah, absolutely. And so the AMH test is the test that's typically performed to do quote unquote the egg count yeah and birth control can change your AMH levels and so if you're testing AMH whilst you're on birth control it might not be a true representation yeah and I've seen this time and time again where that fear of having a low AMH is drilled into people yeah and then they come off birth control and they actually fall pregnant quite easily and maybe like sooner than they would have liked and things like that so AMH is a it's an effective test and really relevant to IVF specialists because it will determine your dosages and things like that when it comes to IVF medication yeah AMH is a huge topic that I would love to go into but I guess that's all to say is it's just one test and when it comes to your fertility you really want to zoom out and look at the whole picture Okay. So Al, this was really just like an introduction. Like this is menstrual cycle 101, like menstrual cycle light. And we're going to go into it deeper in future episodes, but do you have any questions? I have a thousand. (laughs) So like, as you're talking, I'm literally writing down ideas for future episodes for questions that I want to know more about. It's just so many things, but things that I want to explore really in depth. And I think, yeah, the ovulation one, I'm super excited to really get into that a bit more and explore because as you said, that's the main event and that is not what I thought. So (laughs) yeah. And I think too, there's going to be so many people that are listening to this and they're on birth control. Yeah. And so they might be thinking like, how does birth control affect the phases or the menstrual cycle in general? And it's going to depend on what birth control you're on and what the specific drugs are doing in the body. So oftentimes people will say to me like, oh, I'm on the progesterone only pill. Yeah. They're on the progestogen only pill. Uh So it's a- (laughs) 
say that to you the other day? I was on the progesterone only pill. I did. Yeah, everywhere, but that's what it's called. So yes, people okay. will say, oh, you're, you're on the combined pill, so it's estrogen and progesterone. Yeah. It's not their drugs that mimic the role of those hormones in right. the body, but they're not the same as taking like a, a body identical version of progesterone, right. which is available on the market, but you yeah. don't use it for this purpose. So the type of birth control that you're on yeah. will affect how your menstrual cycle changes. So for example, some types of birth control, you continue to ovulate, yeah. but you have a, it influences contraception in a different way. Yeah. Whereas other types of contraception switch everything off. So yeah. ovulation doesn't occur. So this will change depending on the specific type of hormonal contraception that you're on. So we're not going to go into that today because that's yeah. just like a whole other kettle of fish. We should do a whole birth control episode. Yeah, that would yeah. be awesome. And we'll get one of the amazing gynecologists that we have here in Brisbane onto the show because it's so important to understand it from that perspective as well. Yeah. But what we've spoken about in today's episode is really just a natural menstrual cycle. So no external influences coming from either like an IUD or the pill, etc. Well, that was amazing and can't wait to edit it so I can take notes. And yeah, I think everyone's going to get so much out of that. So we are going to kick off with the first of many regular segments. So we are going to discuss a little bit of a random fact. This was something that you just mentioned in passing to me the other day. And I was just like, holy crap, that's so interesting. So I went and just read the article about it. So this is from the Washington Post. A woman who was born with a rare condition known as double uterus is speaking out after giving birth to twin girls whom she carried in each of her uteruses during her pregnancy. Kelsey Hatcher of Dora, Alabama, delivered her daughters, Roxy and Rebel, on two separate days in December over a span of a 20-hour labor. So while Roxy was delivered vaginally at 7.45 p.m. on the 19th of December, Rebel was delivered via C-section on December 20th at 6.10 a.m. I love this story so much. That is wild. Isn't it? Yeah. So some of the sources that I read quoted that this was about a one in a million pregnancy. Yeah. So it's far more common that people that do have a double uterus, which is known as uterine didophis, which I probably haven't said that right, <laughs> didophis, they'll usually carry from one uterus. Yeah. But in this case, she actually carried from both. Yeah. And so her babies are fraternal twins, yeah. which means that there were two separate eggs that were released at ovulation. Yeah. And they were fertilized. And normally, I shouldn't say normally because I don't want to say that this is necessarily abnormal because this is her physiological reality. Yeah. But with fraternal twins, in the case of somebody only having one uterus, they will develop their own amniotic sac. Yeah. And they'll typically have their own placenta as well. And they share space, like they share real estate in the same uterus. Yeah. But because this woman has two uteruses, she actually carried from them both, yeah. which is so incredible. Yeah. And it just highlights how amazing our bodies are and how strong women are because oh. she had a vaginal birth. Yeah. And then a C-section. I cannot even begin to imagine. Um, I've got three kids, as we mentioned earlier. I've had two vaginal deliveries and an emergency C-section. Like I cannot imagine going through, like it is so 
so exhausting to yeah. go through that whole process of delivering vaginally and when it's over you're like oh thank god and then you gotta go again but then you have to go again yeah oh wow Wild. what a woman yes yeah, so i truly hope that her village has like come out to support her because yeah. that's that's a lot yeah that's hard yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely and in the articles they've got photos of this woman yeah and i'm like okay who is she like she's like just sitting upright holding her babies oh i'm like oh my gosh i would not be like that if i had to deliver two babies <laughs> i'd be a wreck i would not let a news <laughs> like camera anywhere a near me yeah oh absolutely. my god so i love that story yeah um, so much yeah i have a few questions so would she have had that whole experience of like the period and stuff in each so she had a dominant follicle and all of that happening in each well good question yeah so when you have a double uterus you have two cervixes yeah and you have two uteruses yeah but I imagine that she still only has the two ovaries. Right. But okay. I could be wrong. So that's a really good question. I'll yeah. like absolutely look into that Yeah. because there can be different manifestations. Like some people can have two vaginas yeah. and then also like, some people might only have one fallopian tube. Right. And that's also really interesting in yeah. how the body compensates because you have typically there's two fallopian tubes yeah. and an ovary on each side where the fallopian tubes are. Yeah. And so even if somebody has one fallopian tube or one's blocked or one's yeah. been damaged or had to be removed surgically, whatever, the other fallopian tube will compensate and it'll like attract in the egg what? yeah it's crazy like the, the body is wild yeah. so I don't know the answer to that question because there's but a lot of different ways it could have gone yes yeah. exactly but a lot of people that do have a double uterus they tend to fall pregnant and carry in the same uterus yeah so that's what I read. Like, so if somebody say has had three kids and they have a double uterus, it's quite common that they'll always carry in one uterus right. and like the other one might not be the same size maybe, or just like active or whatever. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's so interesting. Mm. Oh my God. That's yeah. Incredible. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and we can't wait. I mean, as you can tell, I cannot wait <laughs> to bring you and me <laughs> more educational info and amazing stories. As we are a new pod, we would absolutely love it if you could share this episode with someone you think might enjoy it. If you would like to leave us a review, you can do so on Apple Podcasts and make sure you're following us so that you don't miss out on everything we have installed for you. And this is your reminder that you are smart, interesting and beautiful, period. <laughs>